All right. So, Dr. Kelly, we are in our post-recording, our after-party of intimate reflections about today's show, which was, you know, um, having a show just to talk about conversations about intimacy was pretty profound. There were some things in there that was like... Um, touched my soul. Yeah, it was, you know, it was neat because it was on a spiritual level and not just talking about physical intimacy. When people talk about, you know, think about intimacy, they think sexual intimacy. And today we really saw and experienced friendship intimacy, emotional intimacy, vulnerability, the spiritual intimacy, like uh, I felt convicted at one point. And that author, Pamela Havy Lau, she put my toes right to the fire and held me too. She made me finish a sentence. Yes, yes. But I think that's something that, I mean, I definitely can relate to and a lot of other therapists and um, people that help people that sometimes when we have friends, we just want to be ourselves. Completely. And I, I was like, uh, uh, er. And for, for those of you that are listening now, this is a post-show intimate reflection with Dr. April and myself, Dr. Kelly, and we are going to delve a little bit deeper. And today's show was on how to be a safe haven with women with uh, author Pamela Havy Lau. Yes. One of the things that I want to start off that she said is we have to name our needs. And as women, that is like so hard for us sometimes to do because we always give, 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 give. So, Dr. Kelly, you know, um, you're, you've got a special place in my heart. You know that. And I'm, I honor you in um, helping me with all this. And, you know, I'm being on the show and all the stuff that we're doing. So I want you to name what is your need. Right now, I, I would have to say that I feel lonely in my life. And it could be the isolation. And I never want to start a sentence with due to COVID. But I want to say that in the last year and a half, it has been isolating and lonely. But I experienced loneliness well before that. And I think if we're really honest, we have been isolated as a society and as individuals for a lot longer than this. And so for me, one of my needs is a safe place where I can be open, vulnerable, and just like what happened today, like Pam pushed me to finish a sentence. And uh, you're also gentle like that. You you pause. You don't like push the pace of a sentence or a paragraph or a conversation. You'll wait and listen and bring it back. You're very present. So I just need you to keep doing that. I've had, felt the same way in the sense sometimes of, of loneliness, but I'm also one who, um, how can I put it, when she went through all these things, um, don't necessarily share when I'm in pain. You know, and so I want you to know on your end that I can be that safe haven and, and friendship, which we do have. And I am so grateful that you are in my life because, you know, as a friend, like we are not in our, just for those of you that are listening, um, yes, we're both doctors and yes, we're mental health practitioners, but in our friendship, it's not like we say, what I hear you saying is, <laughs> you know, we don't do all the reframing. It truly is friendship, reciprocity, and uh, where you don't have to edit yourself. So thank you for being that for me. And so what else stood out with you? Um, the other part is those five things that she talked about, the five patterns. And probably the first one stood out to me um, was pain. 
And as we're having this intimate um, conversation, um, I'm going through uh, an adjustment in my life, you know, of losing someone in my life that's important to me. And so that brings pain. And going through that, um, sometimes I don't reach out as much as I need to, which I know that's something I got to work on. And I like her suggestion about putting it on the calendar, you know, reaching out to people. Yes. Yeah, because our calendars tell us where to be at what time, and we do it. I mean, I'm not, like, ruled by it, but I know what's happening at 515 today. Okay, good. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's what stood out to me that, and I, um, it's been standing out to me all week. You have to go through the pain to get through the healing. That was her first. And, you know, to think that, you know, um, if you guys are listening to this post-show and you haven't watched the show yet, because I encourage you to go back to that episode where we talk with Pamela Havy Lau because her five patterns, the first one being about grief. When I met her at, we were both students at Liberty University, I was a junior at the time. And I never knew that she had, her, uh, her mother abandoned her and she was vulnerable and she went there today. And she never knew that my mother abandoned me. And I was 14 years old. I about fell out of the chair when she said 14. Because I was 14 and I came home from school in April. My stepfather was in a chair crying in this empty living room. The only thing in the living room, living room was my stepfather and that orange velour chair. My mother had left. She had taken three of the six siblings and she left him. She left the orange chair and I was the other thing that she left. And here it is in God and his divine orchestration, his imagination, his amazing deep love for us, that he gave me a friend like Pam and that we were able to be friends to one another, all the while not knowing that we both experienced abandonment by our mother. You know what? Today we met and I hadn't seen her since her wedding three decades ago. But when we met today, we were the same people and God had us meet. We weren't, I wasn't a doctor. She wasn't an author. We were wounded. We never even talked about it until today. That's how God works. This imagination of God. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Don't ask me where that is. I forgot. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking about you too as young people in your 20s and in college and even in myself my 20s in my in my college we didn't share much about what was going on in our lives where we come from sometimes when you go off to college you're just trying to figure yourself out and be someone new right you're away from home <laughs> yeah but that's amazing that you guys had that that friendship and starting to develop that foundation yeah the second pattern uh you have you've written down the patterns right um, so you have the first pattern, and that's the sharing of pain and being present. And like she said, even if you don't know what to say when somebody's in pain, like maybe you've never experienced uh, death in your family. And then you just know that it you grow relationships through communication. And this really struck me, and I want to go a little bit deeper with it. And then if somebody has a deep loss, like a grief, or even a loss of a relationship that they had dreamed would be more, and you don't know what to say. So stifling and not saying anything hinders relationship building mm -hmm. because we build our relationships through communication. So even if we can't open the door and say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. Right. That's part of the comfort. Yeah. Just being present, showing up, you know, because it's so, um, how can I put it? It's easy sometimes for your friends to show up for parties 
you know what I'm saying, for cakes and all that kind of stuff. But to show up when someone is hurting and not to be judgmental and to just listen. I think also in the early pain, uh, now most of our listeners are um, older, but regardless of where we are, we have a biological age of trauma too. And she went deep with us. So here we are, intimate reflections, talking post-show. And she went deep and she said that, you know, when she was 14, she was abandoned by her mother. And then here she is an adult woman. And when her oldest daughter became 14, it was like difficult for her because it reminded her of that abandonment. And so I just, I loved how authentic she was. She shared so much today. I mean, I felt like I was in therapy today. It felt so good. Yes, and, and her saying that just kind of always remind me about um, sometimes we get triggered. Yeah, but we get triggered by these thoughts in our mind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And to be honest with you, last night or early this morning, I woke up and something just came to me very negatively that I don't deserve to do this. I don't deserve to do this. And you know what? For the first time, I guess a stop sign came in my head. Yes. And it was like... I learned now to put a stop sign on that. Nothing that I never, yeah, like it stopped. I said, stop. I'm just, no, no, we're not creating a path in this brain of that. I'm not doing that. That is not happening in my brain. That's opposition because you are authentic. When you interviewed me for this co-host, the joy of co-hosting with you, you said, Kelly, are you willing to be vulnerable? And I'm like, uh, uh, yes, I am. <laughs> You know, but there was a big dramatic pause there. Um, but yeah, vulnerability. And we have to ha have a stop sign and say, you know what? That's not welcome here. I don't want that to take root and that thought to become an action. And I, I also love that we didn't, uh, when she said, when we come to friends and those people that are going to nurture and speak into our life, we don't have to come with a title. We don't have to come with a title or a role. They don't care. They that true friends don't really care because you get to they see you in that vulnerability. They care about you as a person and not what you bring them. Exactly. She said it's basically um the next two are understanding and forgiveness. I think a lot of times, uh, and I've seen this in some of my sessions with therapy and even myself in my personal life, sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. How, how do you help your clients that are having a hard time not forgiving others, but forgiving them, themselves? Yeah, I think one of the things that is just learning how to look at it from the perception of the age and the person you were at that time. Many of the times we look at things, even in the sense of college. If I look at it in my 49 years, <laughs> yeah, what I did, I can be very judgmental, but I really had to take myself back and look at it because I do, Dr. Kelly, I honestly believe that people do the best they can with what they have. Yeah, what I, what I think, I understand that what you said is that, you know, what, how old were they when they did this? Like, I, it, I automatically went back to when I stole something. And it wasn't a car. <laughs> no. I, I wasn't driving. I was eight years old. I was eight years old and I stole a zero candy bar. Of all okay. things. I stole a Barbie doll at eight. <laughs> okay. Oh, Wow. <laughs> 
Ah, that's hilarious. But yeah, right? So you steal right. something at eight. You're like, hey, you want it? You take it, you know? And I, of all of all the candy bars, a zero. And, and you know what, Dr. Right. April? I took that candy bar home in my pocket and I hid under my bed. I crawled under my bed and I ate that candy bar. And I often say to people and, and remind myself, anything you have to hide is never good. Right, exactly. <laughs> What'd you do with your baby Barbie doll? I got it home, and then uh, my mom noticed it. Where did this come from? Did you lie on top of stealing, or did you tell her the truth? I had to tell her the truth, and so then, of course, it goes back, and, you know, I have to give it up and all that kind of stuff. So last thing I ever stole, never stole. You never stole after that? I did. In fact, I went on a church youth group trip to Mackinac Island in Northern Michigan, and I went on a shoplifting spree Mm. with my church youth group. Can you imagine? How old were you? 12 or 13, and they dared me to steal something. So it wasn't just like I was stealing to try to get things, you know, that a little greedy thing. It was a dare. And then I realized I have so much money left. And then I bought my mom and dad a father and a mother mug and went home and I was like the child of the year, right? Till they find out that I stole it. <laughs> or no, I bought that, but I stole the other stuff. But you get the idea. Anything you yes. have to hide is never good. And that was when I was young. And so it's different. If I'm stealing things now, if you're stealing Barbie dolls or you're stealing things now, but we were young and uh, it was our first offense. So it's that emotional age, I guess. Right, right. But even with forgiveness, um, I know recently I um, lashed out on someone and it was not something that um, <laughs> that I should have done. And God got me on my conscience, of course. And, you know, and I did have to apologize, which was fine. It's, it's not about you. I just know that I need to apologize. I had to take accountability. And how did that go? Did they forgive you? Um, I hope so, but I just said, this is my thing. You don't have to reply back. Wow. And uh, how did that resonate with you when um, Pam was talking today about forgiveness? Yeah, so that's what came up. That w- That's yeah. one thing that came up. And like what you just said about self-forgiveness. And I think it's even when we're listening to other women, sometimes helping them forgive themselves. Because many times, many women just lay the guilt and everything on themselves so much. So many women are afraid of being a bad mom. Do you know that? Yes. Well, it's because our, our teenagers and our um, our children tell us. Okay, so I've oh, been told yeah. that. <laughs> I'm oh, not going to call any names to my one daughter. Yeah, right. You're not calling her out. I want to talk about something. It's interesting because I want to go a little di- bit deep and vulnerable in this one area. Right. Yesterday, something happened, and I'm still trying to understand it. But I was, um, and we're talking about being a safe haven with women. So I'm taking a risk and sharing this with you. And our listeners can listen as a part of our intimate podcast. But I was swimming. And a woman was like, hey, how are you? Where are you from? And, you know, do that. Like, okay, I live here and this and that. And then she asked, you know, if I was married. And I said no. And then she she said, "Um, you don't have any children? So she didn't ask, and as I was leaving, I thought, she didn't ask, do you have children? She said, you don't don't have any children? Like this, and I kind of felt the tone, and it was like, so you're not married, you don't have any children, like what value do you bring to this world? That's what I felt when I walked away, I was like, 
And I hadn't felt that. I have never felt that. I mean, I'm used to being third wheel, fifth wheel, sixth wheel. I right. never really think much about it. I'll go anywhere. Right. You know, I, I love being a part of any crowd. I've never really felt it. I've just people are like, don't you feel like a third wheel? Never have. But uh, that was a, something that was assigned to me. You don't have children even? Right. That was a, a settled kind of negative connotation. Yeah. Sorry about that. And to go back to what you said about um, mothers feeling that they're not good enough. Well, number one, no kid comes out with a book. Like you don't birth the kid and then the book comes out on how do you raise this kid. Right. <laughs> There's no book on that. Yeah. And then number two, I think um, when girls, especially girls, sometimes are boys also, but that girl, that mother and daughter kind of going back to Freud, um, conflict is going to happen. Yeah. It's something that just automatically happens and you have to learn not to take it so personally and know that it's going to happen. And so when my child said, yeah, I don't like you and nobody in, your, in this family likes you. <laughs> and then my parents said, yeah, that's true. None of us really like you. What? <laughs> they love their grandchild. <laughs> they do anything. Uh, of course. <laughs> yes. And we laugh about it today because we know how that was at that time period. Did you ever come to that part? Did you ever say that to your mom? Um, my mom was a very strong, strong woman. So I remember one time saying to her that um, I didn't feel like I fit in and I didn't like myself. Whew, I don't know why I said that. That was two or three hours long lecture <laughs> about how she brought me into this world. And, you know, you're not going to talk bad about yourself and yada, yada. She got in my face and it was just like, you know, no child of mine says so any kind of things like that. It was, yeah. Wow. So she instilled in me um, a strong confidence that, yeah. And how is your year, uh, word of the year going? This Speaking of confidence, how is it going for Jen? For We're in March of 2021. Your word was fearless. So fearless is going well. Um, however, sometimes as women, we try to help everybody else, but we don't like to ask for help. And yesterday I had to ask for help from someone, and it was so difficult, but I had to because... Um, I have some maintenance things here going on that I, I can't do myself. So I had to ask for help. And I used my word. I said, is this causing you more fear or are you going to be fearless? And just say, hey, this one needs to be done. And I said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Fantastic. So the, the fifth principle was compassion. Uh, as women, I think that many women have a hard time with boundaries and saying no and there's this thing called compassion fatigue um so yes we need to be compassionate and it's probably not aligning completely with her book but i just think to myself and want to encourage women and even men that are listening those that are how do you handle compassion fatigue you may you may think that you're burnout or you're depressed but maybe you should just pause and say okay how many people am I trying to help? And am I fatigued because I'm not asking for help? In the show today, I asked the question. I forgot the question. What, what question did I ask, April? So when she said compassion, um, and like you said, compassion fatigue, for me, sometimes what has happened is that um, I feel fatigue, and then someone else needs some kind of help. And sometimes... You have to learn how to say no, and especially when you're going through your own stuff, you know, but then it's like, <laughs> do you help or do you not help? Do you help? Do you not help? But then I remember, you know, we both are women of faith 
that sometimes if we cannot help a person, we can pray for them. Yes. And really, when we say we're going to pray for somebody, pray for them. Because a lot of people have a hard time with saying Jesus' name in vain. I'm one of them. I don't, do not like it when people say Jesus', Jesus name in vain. Do not like it when people say Jesus' name in vain. But here's what we do when we say we're going to pray for somebody and we don't. That's taking Jesus' name in vain because we pray right. in his name as believers. Right. No, not everybody has the same belief system as we do. And we have such an eclectic and broad audience. But the point is, is that we need to know when to ask for help and to be specific with what our needs are and realize it's okay to have needs as women. We don't have to be the end all of all to all, right? Who, right. who said we had to? Exactly. And then sometimes when you pray, then you have the right words to say to someone who needs your help instead of just saying whatever. Because you did talk about um, what our first show was about, discernment. Yes, intimacy through discernment. Season 10, episode one. So this has been amazing. And I thank you so much for sharing this space with me. You're welcome. I feel privileged and I feel humble. I feel vulnerable. I just can't help but smile. I know this is audio, but I'm smiling. Yes, and I see it. Yeah, it, right. It's just crazy. What a what a wonderful world we're living in, and it's it's it is difficult. These are difficult times, but there's spaces like these that we can come and be vulnerable, and we're not faking that. I mean, right. you, you can fake some things, but you can't fake everything. And I don't think you can fake happy if you really no. genuine happiness. Do you know you can't even whistle when you're happy? Not happy. If you're, if you're unhappy, you can't really whistle. I can never whistle anyway. So. <laughs> that theory's tanked. Thanks so much um, for this intimate reflection with you post-show today. I really enjoyed it. All right. Same here. Thank you. And you have a wonderful um, rest of your day, okay? Yes. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye.